Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Kujo Virgil, and I'm very, very excited for our guest today. Our guest today is a real estate developer, and he has a ton of experience acquiring land and various commercial real estate asset classes. And so before we start today's show, please, please, please leave a review and a rating for our podcast. It surely helps get high-profile guests like the one that we have today and really improves our show's visibility. So today's guest is Sri Kulkarni. So Sri is an engineer, lawyer, real estate investor, and developer, and is the CEO of Kulkarni Properties, a Cincinnati-based real estate development and investment company. And they specialize in complex city building projects that transform communities, as well as insight, selection, acquisition, and development. And Sri's portfolio currently consists of land, industrial, office, retail, and multifamily. Sri, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. So give our listeners a little bit about your backstory and how you got into the world of real estate development. Sure. You know, it was kind of a crazy story. As you mentioned, Yannick, my, my background, I'm an engineer by trade. I'm a chemical engineer. I went to Purdue, went to Ohio State for law school, The Ohio State, graduated, passed the bar in Indiana. And the purpose was all going to do patent law, given my engineering background. And what ended up happening is I was on a golf outing with a guy who was talking about this was 2006. So the market was insane. You know, people were making money hand over fist doing all kinds of crazy things. And um, I got seduced by the opportunity that real estate has to offer. And so I basically started in 2007 uh, with the real estate business and um, sort of very diffidently. Um, it was poor timing, right? Because 08 happened. But, you know, they say if you can make it through something like that, you're going to be good going forward. I was very fortunate. We got into um, doing a lot of single tenant net lease properties, which is so, my bread and butter. These are like retail hard corners at a light acre, acre and a half. You put it, do a ground lease, build a suit for, you know, banks, fast food facilities sort of branched out and grew from there and have been fortunate to work on a whole bunch of very different, fun, interesting projects in my career. That's really, really cool. And uh, I think a, there's not a ton of education on single net, you know, uh, properties. Everybody's talking about multifamily or some other asset classes that I guess you can easily find on YouTube or you can find a coach for, you know, what got you into that space, right? Because you don't really see a lot of investors and on a day-to-day basis that's you know, available and, and, and you can tap into and have conversations with that specifically have a bread and butter behind the, the net lease space, which really can be a very, very attractive long-term investment uh, strategy if you structure it well, uh, if you have that long-term ground lease on, on it. You know, talk about that and, and maybe, you know, why that is, why that's your bread and butter. Great question. So um, why I started in that was because the price point when I started was reachable, right? Because Doing a multifamily deal, you know, right now our costs are coming in at two fifty, two hundred sixty thousand dollars a door. So even if you have a hundred units, that's a twenty-six million dollar deal. 
you know, you got to have 40% down. These numbers are big numbers. It requires a lot of capital. At the time, remember, this was 08, 09, 2010. You could buy a hard corner for 400,000, 450, 350. I mean, the market was right in the bottom of the barrel. So there were just price points that were reasonable, that made sense. And, um, you know, now it's a very mature field, right? This whole single tenant net lease field is very uh, efficient. Back in the day, it was not efficient at all. Like the spreads on deals were insane, right? You could do a 12 cap deal because nobody was doing deals. So if you happen to own a property, there were just no other options. The number of tenants were relatively small, but my like my first tenants uh, were Davida Dialysis Clinics because healthcare continued to do decent in the Great Recession. And so they were active and I was fortunate to get one deal done and got another deal done in that same space. So that's why it was nothing other than the intersection of opportunity and, you know, sort of interest work. That's it. Over the years, obviously, the, in the net lease space, we've seen a ton of competition, right? That same, you know, 12 cap deal that you, you probably ran into years ago is probably a five cap easily right now, right? Are you, have you been able to dispose of any properties and take advantage of any of the of the acquisitions that you made or the, or the equity that you were able to build up? Or are those, you know, long-term hold properties for your portfolio? Most of them are long-term hold. We sold one, was a BK ground lease that we did. We ended up selling, but most of them are buying their holds. And again, because the spreads were so big, there was enough equity you could refinance out and you had that helped you create equity for your next project. So I'll tell you, it's interesting. Like this is an example of a single tenant net lease deal that maybe your users would find or your listeners would find interesting. Like this isn't a perfect equation, right? It's all location dependent, but let's say you want to do a Starbucks ground lease deal or Starbucks build a suit deal. Our cost, when we looked at one for a site that I own in Indiana, they cap my return roughly at a six and a half percent. And there's no developer fees in that. So they don't pay you on the developer fee. It's roughly a six and a half percent return to the developer they know their costs better than we do, right? So really, the the construction risk is all yours. And I don't know what a Starbucks sells at today. Maybe a five cap, five and a quarter cap. Like after commissions, maybe you're five and a quarter. So the spreads are very, very thin, right? So it's really a volume game. In the case of Starbucks, it's not, it's not even a fee game. Like some of these tenants allow you to take fees because you can you have an operation. They don't do that. So at least from that's my understanding. It's a very tough business now. There's a lot of money to be made, but um, especially, you know, you got to do, you got to have a relationship, you got to do it in volume. But for what it is, that was not the case when I started. When I started, it was something very different, but that's the way it is today. Yeah. And markets certainly change. And, and I've heard you on different podcasts, just talking a lot about investing in markets that are growing, right? One of the things that I've heard in another podcast that you said was that it's better, you're better off investing in a market that's growing because if you do a bad deal in a good market, most of the time you can get bailed out, right? Hey, listen up. If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank earning 0% return and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate, well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. 
If you want access to this valuable resource, go to MerlinAcquisitions.com slash Passive Guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N Acquisitions.com slash Passive Guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. Talk about your firm's uh, acquisition criteria, maybe the markets that you guys are looking at. But maybe just, you know, give us a 30,000 square foot overview of the type of markets that you look for that makes sense for your, your firm today. Yeah, that's a great question. So you're right. I've said this a lot. There's really two things that I tell all people that are interested in real estate. A, start early. By, by the very nature of our business, like, you know, properties take a long time. Development takes a while. Ownership takes a while. You have a 20-year mortgage. And so... If you started at 20 by the time you're 40, and I'm 43 now, you conceivably could have paid off the entire loan balance, right? So in 20, 21, 22, 23, 25, 30, you just don't have a lot. Most of the time, in many cases, you're single. Your lifestyle isn't that extravagant. Even if you're married, perhaps you don't have kids. And that just gives you a lot more financial freedom to work these deals in a way you just can't when you're my age. I got four kids. A big overhead, a lot of expenses. It just is different. So I wish I would have started earlier. That's one piece. But the second one, which is almost more important, is you have to do real estate in a in a city that's growing. Why? Because as you said, you could do a bad deal in a good market and make money. Why? It's almost one very simple equation. Are people moving? If people are moving into your city, it creates demand for services. It creates demand for land. It creates demand for houses. It creates demand for cars, jets, anything under the sun. It creates demand. Now, unfortunately, real estate is a very local business, right? You feel comfortable buying the corner that you know because you've driven by it 50 times, the building that you've looked at since you were a kid and you've wondered at whatever. It's just a wrong strategy. That's not to say there aren't multimillionaires in every city in the entire world. There are. There are people in in Cincinnati who are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. But on average, to give yourself the highest probability of success, you move to a city that's growing. Importantly, it's not always population growth. Population growth is very important, but it's really income growth. So if you really drill down, you want to move to a city that's growing, but not just growing by people. Tampa used to be a city that was growing by people. What's happening now is it's growing by income. So in 2021, as an example, Tampa, Florida, and Texas both added roughly the same number of people to the state. Florida added $24 billion in net income. Texas added $6 billion in net income. So you have the same number of people roughly. One's adding four times as much wealth. And you see that. You see that in the market. You see that in the pace of transactions, in the price points, in all of these soft touches. So Sorry to be verbose, but if you boil that down to like one event, if you have a limited amount of capital, which every human being on the planet does, you have a limited amount of capital. If you put that to work in a, in a city that's growing like Tampa, 10 years ago, you could have overbought by 30% and you would have felt so bad. You'd have been like, God, I got stuck. I own this retail building. It's making a 4% return or I own this multifamily building, it's a three cap, whatever the hell it is. Today, you would have made 
10 times your money. If I would have done that, I'd be worth 10 times what I'm worth from my investments in Cincinnati because they're just different markets. And that's not because I would be smarter. I would do the same thing I'm doing now. I'd be out, out in the market. I'd be hustling, talking to people, finding a property, trying to work deals. Nothing would have changed just where I was. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. That makes total sense. And I, I love the way that you broke that down. You ultimately want people to move into your market, the markets that you're investing in, but the incomes are certainly one of the most important factors, especially when you're growing your pro forma and you're underwriting deals. You know, obviously you don't want to be too heavily swayed on rent growth, but it's always great because we know that rent growth ultimately drives the pro forma in a, in a positive direction, right? No doubt. You know, um, Florida's interesting, you know, from a lot of different perspectives, but it's really highly regulated too. It's a lot like DC and I don't know, probably maybe Baltimore, but what that also produces is this weird bubble of, of like competition because it's really hard to do new things. Not that Florida isn't growing, it's growing, but to the extent that you can find a good property, good market, you feel better about having sort of long-term intrinsic value in that, in that property. 100%. So you're doing land acquisitions as well. And a ton of our listeners I know are interested in real estate development, land acquisitions, you know, talk about that, you know, within your acquisition criteria. Uh, again, I, you know, we do a lot of research on our guests and we listen to the, the things that they do and the things that they talk about. And, um, you know, I've, I've heard that you're, you're patient on the land acquisition side, right? You're willing to, you know, have some capital sit, you know, not necessarily earn the yield going in by just, you know, buying a fully entitled property, shovel ready, ready to go. Talk about that a little bit in depth as to your land acquisition criteria, maybe, you know, some of the due diligence that you do when you're looking for those opportunities as it relates to the ability to, you know, hedge risks, but then also make sure that your um, desired outcome on the development comes to fruition. A couple of things about land, right? Land is even more dependent on population growth. So I certainly wouldn't say you should do this in every market. Sometimes the time it takes for a piece of land to hit its sweet spot is longer than a traditional investor is comfortable holding. However, again, look at markets like Florida. And I go back to um, states and areas that are growing. Since night, it's like 1929 or 32 or something like that. If you would have bought a piece of land or invested in the S&P 500, you would outperform the S&P 500 owning a piece of land for this long. So if you think about it as, as a way to accumulate wealth over the long term and have a hard asset to do that through, owning land is a really, it's a really interesting opportunity. And some of the good stuff that I would tell you about land in this market, not all markets, there's entitlement risk. Entitlement risk in Florida is very difficult. Entitlement is basically the challenge of getting the municipality to approve the type of use that you want to put on there. But you don't have things like execution risk, right? So let's say you're going to go build a multifamily building, develop it from scratch. That's tough. You really have to be great at construction. You got to be great at oversight. You got to have a, a general contractor who you trust. There's no supply chain. You have supply chain risks for construction, right? Like what happens if there's a war in Ukraine and you can't get lumber you have a lease up risk, right? You have tenants that say, I'm fed up with 12% increases, I'm out. You have recession, you have all these macroeconomic risks. You have interest rate risk, which is the biggest hurdle right now for people in the multifamily space, right? On the development or even ownership side, 
you're getting absolutely, absolutely crushed if you have a variable interest rate loan. You just are. And there's no capital out there to take you out. So you don't have any of that in land. You just have entitlement risk. So if you feel comfortable in the entitlement process in holding it, because there are going to be cycles, you end up having an asset that over time can perform really well. What do we look at? We look at phase ones, right? Like typical, we look at phase two work if there's required, but almost never, because these are large tracts of land that you know have farmers that have owned it for 20 years. Geotech in Florida is very, very important. So you got to make sure your soils are good, clean, that the fill that you need, if you need fill, you can get from your site as opposed to hauling it in, which is very expensive. You have things in Florida like floodplain elevations and sort of water tables. There's a lot of water in Florida, in like in the ground. So it makes development a little more complex and um, and costly. And then you have uh, you know, the legal stuff, right? You have a future land use, you have a current zoning in that whole process. We look at all that and um, we try to find an exit before we start. So we're always talking to other home builders. We're talking to build for rent guys, build for sale guys. We're talking to multifamily guys. And really we're looking for land that they would eventually want because, you know, the truth of the matter is if you're a true developer, true, true developer, you want your capital to return dollars as quickly as possible. Almost inevitably, they don't want to take entitlement risk. They don't even want to take permitting risk, right? From the time something's entitled to where they get their construction plans, they don't want that. So we're a nice stopgap. We'll take this property they want, get it entitled, give them some time to get permits, and then they buy it. There's a premium to that. Makes 100% sense. Makes 100% sense. Land development is, um, you know, like you mentioned, one of the riskiest uh, sides of real estate because you're taking raw land to, to get it entitled. But certainly having the education and, and maybe, you know, finding a mentor and, and and being around someone who's actually done it before would certainly help, you know, some of our listeners that are interested in getting into the world of land development that have been in multifamily and are kind of tired of, uh, you know, dealing with all the competition that's in this space. And um, I'm just looking for other asset classes. You know, where do you think, you know, listeners should really start when they're trying to um, do their first land deal in terms of just education and just making sure that, they're doing things the right way. Yeah, great question. I don't really have a great answer for that. And how do you start? Like like almost all things, I think you have to look at a thousand deals before you buy your first one. That's for anything. If you want to be a multifamily guy, whatever, you just have to understand the market in a way that data can't tell. You just can't look at land on Google Earth. You just can't read reports. You literally have to drive it, see it, touch it, feel it. I'm sure, Yannick, you agree with me. There's so much like value and control and ownership that comes with that process. So on the land side, you have to drive. You got to be in your car. You got to be looking at lots and lots and lots and lots of sites. The other thing is you have to have a very long window in your mind. And the goal is to um, recycle your money quickly, but you have to feel like you can hold land longer than possible. So which means you have to have that patient capital. Not that your returns may be even better, right, than your competitive set. You may make more money on land. And in fact, that's my thesis is you're going to do better in land than you would owning a multifamily site. It's like this. It's like nothing, nothing, nothing spike, right? Multifamily, it's three years of value add work for most guys. Then it's like, Okay, you start your lease up, you have some cash flow, maybe you, you have your exit refinance. I think land, if you're good at it, you can go here. So I, I just think you could end up doing better, but it's just a different model. Yeah, 
So you've been in, in, in this real estate space for a long time. You have a lot of experience in the land development space. You know, if you were to start this marathon that you've been on all over again, what's the one thing that you think you would do differently today that would help you be so much more successful? Yeah. I mean, it's like what I said before. There's probably there's three things. A, I would move immediately to a better city. I, you know, I grew up in Indianapolis, which is a great city, but it's a Midwestern town. Moved to Cincinnati. And then from Cincinnati, moved to um, Tampa, Florida. I immediately would have moved to Tampa, Washington, D.C., Raleigh, Durham, Austin, Texas, Dallas, uh, Nashville. I mean, the, the 100% A, B. Oh, I wish I would have started earlier, right? I wish I would have had the fortitude to buy something earlier, which I said before. And it didn't have to be a home run. It could have just been something I would have learned a lot. Um, number three, partnering with somebody is hard. And I have I have one project where I have a very bad partner on, and it's a big deal. And I would tell people, be very, very careful about who you partner with. Partnering is complex. So those are, I mean, right? So you asked for one. To me, those three are the like, I don't know, since 2006 till today, 17 years. That's probably 17 years worth of wisdom distilled into three points. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that you said, you know, when we first started uh, having this conversation is the earlier, the better in real estate, right? Like you said, right? When you buy things at a young age, just the natural lifespan of a real estate investment on the financing side as well, you know, allows you to build more and more wealth over time, the earlier that you um, start off on your journey. And I think that's something that, um, you know, a lot of our listeners really need to pay attention to. And they say all the time, right, the best time to buy real estate was yesterday, right? Because that's just the nature of the game. It's about long-term wealth, owning properties, letting things mature, not having to worry about interest rates being uh, increased by 5% in, in one year, and now you have to sell a property. It's about long-term wealth, and you just stack and stack and stack over time. Then you look up, you know, when you're 40, 50 years old and you're like, wow, I just had this large portfolio and I'm doing so well and I'm able to retire and I'm able to control my life. I think anyone that is, you know, from a W2 professional all the way up to a professional athlete can certainly benefit from owning and holding real estate long term. I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't know if you agree with me, Yannick, but the people that I see that are the most successful, this is another great thing about real estate, which I love, right? In my opinion, it has almost nothing to do with how smart you are. To me, the most successful guys in the, that I've ever seen are guys that A, have some vision, B, are more hardworking than the next guy, and C, are interested in taking more risk than the next guy. Like, that's it, right? You don't have to be a nuclear scientist. You don't have to have gone to some big school. You just have to be willing to outwork the next guy. And if you can do the work for long enough time, this is a business that gives back to you in spades. I tell my guys here, we got a small team of people who all they do is hunt for properties, right? They're sending letters out, they're cold calling. They're young guys and they're doing it and they're like, oh man, it's been a couple months. And I tell them, dude, listen, the truth is this is two years. It's going to suck for two years. It's going to be terrible. But if you stick with it, you are going to find that one deal. And the one deal in real estate could be massive. It just takes a long time. That's a grit. That's a function of grit, effort, energy is nothing to do with smarts, nothing to do with being a genius. 
it's just work, man. You just got to do it. Absolutely. It's time in the market and not even taking the step. I'll even take it a step further. You don't have to know everything, right? You just have to know enough to be dangerous. I think that's the one of the best quotes that I've, I've heard in real estate and has actually been very uh, applicable to our business and what we're doing is that, you know, you don't have to be the specialist in every single asset class. But if you know someone who is or if you have a team that's centered around you that is and you have the vision, you have the grit, the hard work, the willingness to take risks, you can certainly you know pick up some great coin in the world of real estate. Absolutely, man. That's great advice for sure. So, Sri, uh, you know, if our listeners want to follow you, invest with you, follow your growth, what's the best way for our listeners to get in contact with you? Well, so we have a probably our Instagram page we're more most active. It's called Serenity CM underscore RE is our Instagram page. But I think we're on LinkedIn and other like Facebook and all kinds of other social media. But it's probably the Instagram page that that we're most active on. That's perfect. Well, Sri, this was an awesome conversation. We talked a lot about land developments, your experience in the world of real estate, uh, how you look at markets, you know, how new investors can get into the world of land development, the opportunities in land development. Uh, I think this is a great show for our listeners to really sink their teeth in if they're really trying to figure out how can they maximize on some real estate opportunities specifically in the land development space. So thank you again for being a guest on our show. Thank you to all of our listeners out there for tuning in to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Let's take action. Be great today. And remember that real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. So run your own race. Thanks again, Shree. Yeah, thanks so much, Yannick. Nice to talk to you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.